It has been a really cool day so far. Looking for it to be even cooler as the day goes on. And so, as we get ready to get started back into our time of worship and our time of sermon today, I just want to say, so thankful for all of you. This is probably the most enthusiastic you guys have been in a very long time. I didn't have to prompt you guys on how you guys were doing. You're like, woo! Everybody's like right there. It's been awesome today. So, props to you guys. For those of you who may not have been here before, one of the things that we're doing here at Heights is we're going through the Bible in five years period of time. And in order to do that, what we do is we read the Bible together six days a week on most weeks. And if you'd like to be a part of that, if you're coming here and you're saying, I want to know more about what the Word of God says, we really do want to invite you on a journey with us going through the Word of God. And so we have uh, reading lists over, little reading booklets over at the information desk that's for you. Uh, Suggested donation of $3, but if you don't have it, just take one. We really want you to be a part of that with us. We also have some notebooks there if you're the note-taking type. You get get both of them together for 10 bucks donation. But again, if you don't have it, take it with you. We just want you guys to have that to follow along with us. We're also doing YouTube videos that go through the scriptures, that daily reading that we're doing together. You can find us on youtube.com backslash Heights Christian Church, which is really cool. It's real easy to find that way. Subscribe to our channel, click the bell for notifications so that every single time we're doing a devotional where we actually read the scriptures, you guys will also be notified of that. You can follow along with us. The videos are about 10 minutes long and, and give you six days a week of just a little something of going through the word of God together. So this is what we're doing As we're going through the Word of God. Now I say that ironically because over the next few weeks, last week and this week and next week, we don't have any reading because we're kind of in between in this Easter season. Uh, We're going through the Pentateuch in general. That's the first five books of the Bible along with Hebrews and Romans this year to help make sense of those books from a New Testament standpoint. And so we're walking through that together this year. We invite you on that journey. But this week begins Passion Week. This is an awesome week. As, as a matter of fact, it's not just an awesome week for the Christian faith. I believe wholeheartedly that this is the most important event in all of history that we're celebrating. And I love the fact that we're, we're setting up for that. And as we walk into that, I was kind of reminded of the atmosphere as I was watching basketball last night. I know that sounds really weird, right? One of the things that maybe you guys don't know, how many of you have been watching the NCAA tournament? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you are basketball fans, some of you are like, I don't care, and that's okay. But something about sporting events brings you to a place, and one of the things that they talk about in the NCAA tournament is that we're getting ready to crown a champion, right? We're getting ready, we're, we're working our way through the tournament so that we might crown a champion. Well, one of the teams this year, which was not Clemson, Clemson was not there, that, that's a sore issue for me, don't talk to me about that, uh, but... One of the teams that was there this year was FAU, Florida Atlantic University. And what most people don't know is that is one of my alma maters. I actually went to Florida Atlantic University. I went there in 1989. And so I found myself strangely attracted this year to the games. And of course, if you watched the games last night, spoiler alert, my team lost on a last second shot. 
And I went through all the emotions of it. Me and Shannon both were just like a lot more emotional than we thought we would be over it. But it was this culmination of trying to crown a champion. It's the same thing that you see nowadays in political rallies. Uh, The rallies have become more and more robust with people, it seems like, putting their all and everything within the, the candidates that they are aligned with. And you see these rallies and all these tens of thousands of people showing up in hopes to see something different, something change, their candidate to win whatever elected office that they are. It's this type of atmosphere that really sets the stage, if you will, for what Jesus has happened when he goes to the triumphal entry. And so Before we get to that, I really want to help set the stage. What has happened? How has interest been building up for Jesus during this time as we're entering into Passion Week, as we enter into the triumphal entry, this Palm Sunday? What's happened? Well, one of the things that's happened is very recently we had Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. As a matter of fact, we're going to be reading in accounts from Luke and John, although the triumphal entry is actually in all four of the Gospels. But we're going to read the accounts from Luke and John a little bit later today, and that's one of the things that's mentioned there, is that people who had seen Lazarus raised from the dead, you have to understand, Lazarus raising from the dead is much different than all of the other raisings of the dead that Jesus had done. Everybody else who had seen their sons or daughters pass away, it was like recent, like within the hours that had happened that Jesus comes there and he lays his hands on them and prays over them and they raise up from the dead and everybody rejoices. Lazarus was dead for four days. Not only was he dead for four days, they went through all the burial rites. They wrapped him up in all the linens that they were supposed to do. They placed him in a tomb with other bodies and closed up the sepulcher, which is a two-ton rock that stands in front of it. And Jesus, not only that, he delayed his coming there. When he found out that Lazarus is sick, he remained where he was for two more days. And the disciples were like, oh, well, now Jesus is going to go and wake Lazarus up because he's sleeping. He's doing well. No, Lazarus is dead. And Jesus goes down there, has him open up the tomb. They said, Lord, he stinks. He's decomposing. He's been in there for four days. And because Jesus said, open it up, they did so. And he calls for Lazarus to come forth. And all of the people who knew that Lazarus had been dead for four days, who were with him at that time, have seen a miracle that they've never seen anybody do before. Not in all recorded history. Not only that, Jesus, after that time, as he is making his way toward Jerusalem, he ends up at Jericho and a couple of events happen. And one of those events is that we see two blind men on the road. One of them is named Bartimaeus. And they are yelling out for Jesus saying, 
Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus goes to them and says, what do you want me to do? They, I want to see. And he opens their eyes that these blind men can see. And they stand up and they begin to follow Jesus. They are seeing miracle after miracle. And they're saying, oh my goodness, could this be the one that God has promised to deliver us? In the middle of all this, they go to Jericho, and while in the town of Jericho, there's a little man named Zacchaeus, and he finds his way up a tree because he desperately wants to see Jesus. And this tax collector that is despised by everybody else is noticed by Jesus who says, Zacchaeus, come down. And he comes down and he says, I must stay at your home today. And, and Zacchaeus, what does he do? He says, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody else, I'm going to pay them back four to five times what is owed them, which is way more than what the law had required. And Jesus proclaims salvation has come to this house for this too is a son of Abraham. People are getting excited because Jesus is raising the dead. He's healing the blind. He's bringing restoration to the outcasts. Everything that you could imagine that you would want in a leader is found in Jesus. And he's making his way down to Jerusalem. And it's ironic because it's while he's making his way to Jerusalem, everybody knows that this coronation is about to happen, right? He's the king of kings coming into the kingly city. It's supposed to be his. And so the disciples start vying for a little bit of attention. James and John and the Gospels, Matthew's Gospel gives a little bit more detail Gets their mom involved. Mom, we need you to do us a solid. I mean, if you want, the, you want exactly what went down, it's Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. But mom, we need you to do a solid. We need you to go to Jesus because he won't refuse you because he respects parents. We know if we just go to him, he's just not going to listen to us. But if you go as our mom, and parents, it doesn't matter what age you are, your kids still ask you to do solids for you, don't they? It's totally true, right? Well, this is exactly what happens. And, and so James and John's mom goes there and says, Jesus, I want you to do something for me. Of course, Jesus doesn't say yes, whatever. He says, what do you want? He asks the question. He doesn't give an answer. A blanket check, right? A blank check, whatever you want. Absolutely. Nope. What is it you want? That my sons might sit at your right and your left hand. When you come into your kingdom. You know why? Because they're approaching Jerusalem. This is all the culmination of what they're doing. And so Jesus goes on and talks about, no, those who are to my right and my left, that's not for me to give. That's my Father in heaven. But those of you who are going to be great need to be servants. And who wants to be greatest of all must be servant of all. So he teaches in this lesson while they're going along the road to Jerusalem. You guys get the idea? There, there's an excitement. There's an electricity that's there. People are vying for position because they want favor toward Jesus as he's coming into this proclamation of his kingdom. Because he's walking into Jerusalem, the kingly city, as the king of kings. They are yelling in the streets, Hosanna, save us. 
This is the background of what's happening as he enters into the city. Before we even read these verses from Luke and John. It's pretty impressive when you think about it, right? It's pretty amazing just to think of that atmosphere right there. That you'd be that close to the coming king of Israel. And then you have a desperate people. The people are desperate for their king. They want so badly different leadership than exists right now. This is what Jesus is walking into. As we read the account from Luke, and we're going to read Luke and John's account, just kind of straight through together. But I want you to think of those things in the back of the head, that electricity, that atmosphere that is there as this is happening and the people are there. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to ask them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks upon the colt, and put Jesus on it. And he, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near to the place on the road that goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Luke chapter, excuse me, not Luke, John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had gone, that they had done these things to him. Now, the crowd that was with them when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he was given a miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. You guys see the excitement of the people that are there for all the things that they've seen? Could this not be the one that we've been waiting for? And they're yelling out, Hosanna, which means save. Save us. We're in desperate need of you. This is where they are at that moment. And they spread their cloaks and they pull out their palm branches and they make a, in a coronation run for Jesus as he's coming forward. So much so that the Pharisees are saying, 
teacher, make them be quiet. Oh, but if they're too quiet, stones will cry out. Stones will cry out. You know, what is so interesting about this entire set of scripture is that this is kind of a foretaste, if you will, of a future coronation that we're going to have for Jesus. Everything that's happened 2,000 years ago on this Palm Sunday, someday is going to be done right. See, what we see is this mirror of a message actually that the angels gave at Jesus' birth. I don't even notice it. I don't know if you've ever noticed the wording of the people that as they're going into Jerusalem that Luke records, and it's not by accident that it's a similar wording that we have from the angels in heaven. If we look in Luke chapter 2, at the coming of Jesus in this place, I mean, you can almost, I mean, I'm going to read this and you're going to hear Linus's voice. I'm just saying, that's what happens, Okay. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Do you guys ever notice that? This is the coronation of angels who are testifying to the triumphal entry of God into this world. This is exactly what's happening there. So all the angels come up, and they're doing the exact same things as the crowds. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to whom his favor rests. And did you listen to the wording of the people as they were going into Jerusalem? Chapter 19 Verse 38 says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Did you notice that the angels are proclaiming peace on earth and the people are proclaiming peace in heaven? Isn't that crazy? Because we have this triumphal entry. We have the triumphal entry of the, of the Lord into the world. And now the triumphal entry of the king into the kingly city. And everybody is excited. They are so pumped. We have the angels in the heavenly chorus and the shepherds are going, oh my goodness, what is it that we're seeing? And in the same way, the people are coming in their chorus, laying down all the, all the, the branches and everything that's there. And what are we seeing? This is the Pharisees and others who are not believing. No, oh, if you're quiet, the stones are going to cry out. You think you've got a show now? You just wait. Shut them up and see what happens. Oh. It's exciting. 
But there's a sadness to it. And here's the sadness. All of them miss the message. All of them miss the message. Every single one of them, whether they be disciples or whether they're the people that are cheering on Jesus coming in this place or whether they're the Sadducees and the Pharisees, every single one of them missed it amidst their celebration of Jesus coming into this place and crying out, Hosanna, and can he be the one? Is he the Messiah? Every single one of them missed it. And how do I know this? Because Jesus said so. Luke chapter 19, just a few verses down. Verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. But they were crying, Hosanna. Save us. Hosanna in the highest. Please come. Rescue us. And they all missed it. And Jesus says, Jesus, the king who brings them peace. If you only knew what was bringing you peace, but it's hidden from you. Because while all of these things were happening, everything that I just shared with you, all of that background, that setting of the stage, the excitement of Jesus, the, the vying for position. Jesus said a number of other things that seemed to have just been cast by the wayside. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that while Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem, he lets them know, I'm heading to Jerusalem. And what's going to happen is the chief priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they are going to arrest me and they're going to kill me. And three days later, I'm going to rise. And Luke records this one thing that the other two do not record, which should be evident to everybody. The disciples didn't understand what he meant. So we have Jesus going to Jerusalem saying that he's going to die, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be killed, and he's going to rise three days later, and they have no idea what's going on. As a matter of fact, when Jesus talks about being a servant to all, he says, just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to come and give his life for a ransom for many. All of this just goes over their head. Maybe they think he's thinking, treat, talking in parables. I don't know. But I know that the scripture records they had no clue this was going to happen. They go and get the cult to fulfill what Zechariah had said about the king coming in peace on a donkey. And John records they had no idea. They had no clue. They just did it because Jesus said so. It wasn't until after he is glorified that they realized, yeah, we did that. 
They have absolutely no clue. You know why? Because their eyes are hidden to the meaning of why Jesus has come. Of what it means to be the king that brings peace. And what type of peace he is bringing. They're all stuck in their heads right now on some sort of political, military, earthly king that's going to overthrow the Sanhedrin, religious leader that's going to overthrow Rome, going to overthrow everybody and establish his rule. This is why the disciples are vying for position in his kingdom. And there's such excitement because they see the proofs of the fact that he is the promised Messiah. And they believe Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they're not believers, but they don't see. And we begin this Passion Week with such fanfare and hope and emotion and hoping that everything's going to change because of Jesus. And it's kind of like that San Diego State shot at the very end of the game. so into that game. I love that game. And then that just like, I wanted the coronation of my team as the crowning champion. In the coming week, this is what we're seeing. We see everybody excited about who Jesus is in their mind and not in reality. And if we're honest, you and I fall into the same problem as they do. It's been a little crazy in our world, in our nation, this last year and especially the last couple of weeks. Wouldn't you guys agree? You guys kind of have a feeling that there's a a, kind of a tinderbox moment just under the surface of what's happening right now. If you feel what's been happening in our country. And and why why is that happening? Quite honestly, a big part of it is that we have divorced the idea of those who lead us being accountable and faithful to God and pointing to Him from the process of politically leading us as a country. See, the the people of Israel, when they had a king, the king was supposed to write down the law so that they would always remember it, that they would always know it, so they would always point back to God in their leadership of what was happening. We don't have that happening in our country right now. Haven't for a while. And yet, ironically, the political rallies seem to be getting bigger and bigger. And the rhetoric seems to be greater and greater. It used to be like, ah, well, you know, my person didn't win this election. Okay, it would have been great if they did, but they didn't. That's kind of how it would, you know, I'd rather have that. Now it's like the stakes are, man, if my person doesn't do it, the whole country is going down the tubes, and I cannot believe what's going to happen. We are treating our political people as saviors. 
putting all of our hope in them. You feel it every election, don't you? And as bad as that shot from San Diego State hurt me, I know many of you, 2020 election, 2022 election, 2018 election, 2016 election, it's like we feel it so much more, right? It's like all of a sudden these elections are life and death of our country. Because what we've done, whether we realize it or not, is we have traded out the king who brings peace for a politician that doesn't. And we hope that the next person we elect will have our values. And trust me, I'm not trying to say don't vote your values or that we shouldn't have something inside of us that aligns with our biblical worldview and those are the people that we should vote. But we have put such stock in such things that we will go overboard for this candidate or that candidate and even cause tension every place else and not realize that that's not the real problem. It's not the problem Jesus came to solve. And that's all the people saw. His disciples, that's what they saw. That's why they're vying for position. The Sanhedrin who are persecuting him, who want him killed. You know the reason why? According to John chapter 12, they're like, we have got to stop him. Why do we have to stop him? Because we might lose our place and the Romans might take away our country. The whole death plot for Jesus was the preservation of the people of Israel as a country. And it's not the type of peace Jesus was coming to bring. Nothing in the scripture talks about that. Jesus doesn't talk about that. John chapter 14 and verse 27, he says this. peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Is that type of peace that you have right now worrying about all of these different things? Is your heart troubled? Are you afraid about the things that are happening? Because that's not the peace of Christ that is promised to us. It's a peace that's not dependent upon our circumstances or who's in office. Because none of the disciples ever had the king that they wanted in an earthly sense. Not a single one of them. Your peace and my peace, the peace that Jesus promised to bring, has to be something greater. The king that comes to bring peace to you and I cannot just be an earthly peace, only of the order that you and I want. It is a submission to him of recognizing that there is a greater peace still because the problem is greater than just political ideology. It's you and I looking in the mirror every single day and recognizing the evil inside of us. Those thoughts that nobody else sees. Whispers nobody else hears. The recognition that we have an enemy within us, an enemy outside of us, against us, that is far greater than Rome could ever have been. Or name your president. 
And they all missed it. Every last one of them missed it. And we're falling into the same trap. Because every day as the, day, as the days get worse, we just wish we could have the right politician, don't we? To get the right laws, to get all of this stuff away. As if that's going to cure the sinful human heart. If you knew what it would take to cause you peace. But right now it's hidden from you. You want that peace? Because that's what Jesus came to give. Talking to Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus and they're so sad over the death of their brother. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have been saved. I am the resurrection and the life. Though a man dies in me, he will yet live. There's so much more than this earthly kingdom that we grapple with so much. Jesus didn't come to buy for you and me a type of temporal peace that would end at the closing of our eyes at that last moment. He came to give us a peace where when we close our eyes at that last moment, it begins forever. That's the type of peace that changes hearts and minds, changes cultures and kingdoms. But it's not found on the earthly plane. It just isn't in the earthly way. You want to change the culture? Start telling people about Jesus. Those cards that we sent out that are out in our neighborhood right now, 12,000 of them, 12,000 households have that card. Isn't that awesome? You know why? Because those people need Jesus. They need Jesus. You want change to happen in our culture, we start sharing Jesus because when we believe it's a political agenda, as soon as our person doesn't win anymore, what do we, what message do we have? But this is unbounded because Jesus said that's not the peace I'm giving. I'm not giving an earthly peace. The world can't give you this peace. Only Jesus can. That's what the beginning of this Passion Week is. And what's so sad is it's a mimic of what we want to see in heaven. Because in heaven it's going to be the reality. Along with the angels when he was in the triumphal entry in this world we see the reality. But here we only see a masquerade. It's worthy of praise. Jesus doesn't want to shut them up, but he also knows they don't see the truth. Someday, someday, he returns. He's going to get that triumphal entry that he deserves. It'll be forever. And it won't be dependent upon who's in office. Where's your hope? Where is your hope that you want to share with somebody else? What type of peace are you trying to give them? If they asked you right now, would it be the current political candidate or would it be Jesus? You want to change the culture of Albuquerque? 
Rio Rancho, Corrales, the greater areas, wherever you're living at, the East Mountains, we're kind of all represented here. And we start, start sharing about Jesus. Everybody else will tell you all different types of things that we can do. You want to really affect change. There's a whole lot of political posturing by a lot of different places. Jesus didn't do that. Nor does he promise change to come that way. But he promises a peace that isn't of this world. If you don't know that peace, you can know it today. If you have forgotten that peace... You can have that revived today. If you have, like the disciples did, and the disciples were believers in Christ, misguided as they were, taking their eyes and getting their eyes on the idea that what they're really getting was an earthly king that they could vie for position for, instead of a, a leader who came to die for our sins and a God who shows himself in the most majestic way and to realize for you and me that servanthood is the way toward greatness in the kingdom of God that will transform the lives of people around us when they say, why are you like that? Why are you so different? Why do you have peace when everything around you is in chaos? You will be able to point to the king who brings peace. That is what the triumphal entry is all about. And as he entered into this world and as he's entered into Jerusalem, what he wants to enter into is your and my heart to change us from the inside out, become true followers of Jesus Christ, to have a peace that surpasses all understanding and not to be limited by the hope that's only found in this world. We got a hope that's so much better. Let's not trade it out for anything less. Do you stand with me? we close here in a moment we just think about what this is this type of freedom that Jesus wants to give us this type of peace that he gives us I want you to truly think where are you at with that are you trusting him and him alone for that joy are you trusting him and him alone for that peace are you trusting him and him alone or have you bought into the lies that it has to be something around here that presents itself as some sort of counterfeit savior that you've bought into If you want the peace that Jesus gives, it's available this day. Don't need an election. Don't need to win a tournament. Jesus has already won the victory for you. Because he's king of kings. He's lord of lords. He's a lamb that was slain, but is living. For you, for me. And that's how that peace is achieved. We're going to sing a song together. Just a moment. We're going to have the elders coming forward. If there's anybody who needs prayer, we ask you, even during this song, come down, pray with the elders. We're here for you. And receive the peace of Christ. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for the time that we have to think about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, the rightful King of kings, Lord of lords, the King of Israel, of Jerusalem, who didn't come for political power. He came to defeat our real enemy, which isn't Rome, and it's not the Democrats, and it's not the Republicans. 
That is the sin that's in our heart that separates us from one another and separates us most importantly from you. That you have won that victory that we might have peace. Oh God, if there's anybody here who does not have that peace, may they surrender to you. Not to a caricature of you. Not to a political ideology of you. But to you. Who sent your son to die on the cross for their sins. That they might have peace. And if we've forgotten about that peace, oh Lord. We ask in humble repentance that you would turn our eyes away from human answers and depend solely upon Christ Jesus as Lord. It doesn't mean we don't vote our values. It means that we are no longer enslaved to whoever's in office but for living out our values and offering the hope of Jesus Christ and making a transformation of this culture one person at a time as you touch their lives through the Holy Spirit and transform us into the people of God that you've called us to be. And may we be marked by that peace of Lord that transcends all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.